listening to The Watchers, a show where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey watch <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's what we're doing. We're watching. We're watching stuff. I'm Andrea. And I'm Jody. And this week, what are we doing, Andrea? So usually what we're doing is watching Yellow Jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in, they're in their off season, which means we are in our off season, mm-hmm. which means... We're still doing do- it. <laughs> we're just watching we're just watching other stuff now yeah we're watching movies and tv that are part of our sort of like pop culture dna which is what would lead us to a show like yellow jackets exactly yes yes so before we get started i just want to mention a couple quick yellow jackets things um one the uh Celebrity Family Feud episode is coming out with the Yellow Jackets cast, which is it's like the young cast versus the old cast. It's going to be very funny, I'm sure. Um, apparently, it was a very competitive atmosphere, <laughs> which is great. Um, very good. The other thing is they recently released the video of the Paley Fest panel that the cast did back in April. Um, no big revelations there, just some delightful conversation, as always. Um, but uh, a few lines that inspired me to revive Tawny's Accent mm-hmm. Corner for this week, which uh, I think, Andrea, you'll pop in here. Absolutely. Here's the first one. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I know how scary Tawny can be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pussycat. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It is one word. Yeah. What are you talking about? She, well, she leads. I, I love when she really lets it. She really let it fly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can, I don't know if you can hear it in the clip that I sent you because I might have cut it off. But right after that, you hear someone else in the cast like mimicking her. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) It's great. And so last week, I made you watch Heathers. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And this week, Uh I made you watch Scream. And I liked it. Yeah. I liked it more than I thought I would. Good. I like that. That's. I think that's pretty good. I liked it more than I thought I would, especially after the first scene, the first, the Drew Barrymore scene. Mm, yeah. Because what that was doing was purposeful, and I knew that, but it was also um, doing the thing that I don't like about horror movies. So. Mm. Yeah, I think this is a horror... In general, I think Scream is a horror movie for fans of horror movies, Mm-hmm. I think, which I am not. To be clear. We'll get we'll get into the movie itself and mm-hmm. and what it's doing. Though I think it's one that uh, I'd be pretty surprised if there were many people listening to this episode who hadn't already seen the movie. Yes. Before we announced it as our movie this week. Yes. I am um, the odd one. <laughs> so I don't think. So I think a lot of the conversation around this movie has already been been had. I think our sort of like unique what we bring to it to the viewing is maybe what we'll talk a little bit more about an appreciation for nev campbell being hot at this period in her life <laughs> is that what we're bringing to this for, it was literally I mean, the first thing i texted you when i started <laughs> watching it. this is a movie where so we talked last week about heathers and i said you know i started to joke that it was a bunch of 30 year olds yes um but it's not. Right. There's, it was actually like the, the leads were all pretty young. Yeah. Um, this pretty is Pretty close that. to teenagers. Yes. No, yeah. this is not that. I think Nev Campbell's like 23 yeah. when she made this movie. Drew Barrymore um, had to be older than that, I would think. Oh, Drew Barrymore. So here's the thing. I think Drew Barrymore was mid 
Oh, actually, maybe not. Because she's like mid twenties, but she's yeah younger than I think you would think. Right, Um, I think you're right. Because she's been around for so long. She's been around for so long, but there's like there are kind of two periods of Drew's career that Mm -hmm. are sort of split. I think with this movie, because there's young Drew. Well, maybe there. Oh, Drew Barrymore is exactly my age. Oh wow! So how old were you in '96? That's a great question. So she was born in in February 75. I was born in October. But so she was, wow, 75 to 96 is 21 years. So she was, wow. She was so pretty she young. Was, yeah. Um, which I think, you know, we know her as Baby Drew mm-hmm. in, in movies like E.T. E. And then she had that kind of like bad girl phase-ish. Mm-hmm. And then they bring her in for this movie um which it's you know everybody knows at this point i think that she was they the the, like the bait and switch in this movie where you think that drew is going to be our lead girl and then and by extension our final girl right um and they don't do that they use drew's scene as a way to like set up and remind and reinforce the tropes of these kinds of horror movies yeah and to let you know that they're they're aware of them that that they're going to be fucking with them yeah, totally. Yeah, that um, is the one thing about this movie that I did know after all these years of not watching it is that Drew Barrymore dies in the first scene. Like, I that was not a surprise to me. So, which is kind of a bummer because that is that's such a fun, yeah, uh, such a fun choice for this movie. But I'm, I'm kind really... of glad I knew though, to be honest, because like I said, this is the part of horror movies I don't like. I literally, in my notes, which I've shared with you already that make no sense, that are all over the place, <laughs> I said something about, gross, I don't like movies where women die. <laughs> and I mean, that's true. every, yeah, but that's every slasher movie. I know. Up to this point. And the thing about Drew in this movie, or Casey, is that she is, on the one hand, this scene does two things because it sets up what we expect from a typical slasher movie. She's home alone. She might as well be babysitting. She's not, but you know, yeah. Um, it sets up, you know, what you expect from, from one of these typical slasher movies and it does set up those tropes, but it also lets you know that our, that the women in this movie are not necessarily what you expect from this kind of movie. Right. She does. Right. She's pretty in terms of the first character to die in a horror movie. She does a pretty good job. Yeah. I will say, though, this was my big first problem with this movie, was that, and I think I texted you about this, the 90s was the era of, like, prank calls, no caller mm-hmm. ID, like, you would answer your phone, you didn't know who it was, um, and there is no fucking way a teen girl is entertaining some creep on the other line for that long. Like, you th- at least I wasn't. I was too, like... Cynical. This is, very, this is very North Jersey of you. You've got your head on a swivel. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this guy. Who the fuck are you calling me for? These are West Coast yeah, kids. They're too trusting. But I also wonder if she just assumed that it was somebody, at, at least at first, somebody she knew, somebody from school. Because that's I'm sure. What, yeah. You know. Yeah. I just had this like gut reaction of like, hang up the phone, you hang idiot. Like, why phone. are you talking yeah. to this person? And that happens but, again with the a lot of people later where they answer the phone and they're like, this person's being creepy. I'm just going to keep talking to them. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. I don't know why that doesn't, that part doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, I do what I think is. was Okay. Wait, let me ask you a question. Yes. When you were a teenager, 
Were prank calls like a big thing? Or was it leaning closer to the time where like you could figure out who it was and people were doing it less? They were a little bit, but not not so much. Okay. No, not, yeah, not so much. I mean, when like, I was a kid, prank I, calls were... I grew up were obsessed a, with the jerky boys. Right, like, right, yeah. But, but in terms of like what kids were actually doing, not too much. So in my childhood, prank calls were an epidemic. It was like... It was a plague. That's so funny. It was literally what people would get together and do for fun. I didn't because I was a goody two-shoes that was afraid <laughs> someone would find out it was me. Right. And I would get sent to jail or something. Um, but it happened a lot. That's so funny. So maybe, And maybe it's just the weird part of North Jersey that I'm from, or maybe it's like the generational thing. But, um, but that was my first uh, stumbling block where I was like, you would hang up the phone in three seconds if you didn't know who it was. <laughs> Yeah, I think she's curious though. Yeah, I, I kind of, I don't, I don't know how quickly I would have, I would have hung up. Yeah. Um, but I also she's... have never trusted random men. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's, that's wise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she plays along. He's creepy pretty quickly. Yeah. So, uh, we we've just kind of started um, running away with our conversation. Yeah. Tiny little, tiny little bit of context, just because the. You know, we should actually talk about, like, the basis of the movie and, like, yeah. the story around it and all of that. So, so yeah. So it's... And uh, then I'll talk about how prank calls were <laughs> an epidemic. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Scream, 1996. It's... I know horror movies are huge and have been for... I mean, forever. But we were in kind of a slump before this movie came out. Yeah. Horror movies, the thing was, like, I think we had a few good ones up, like up top <laughs> like we had the first halloween and we had you know west craven's first nightmare on elm street and you know the first one or two friday the 13th but then they just kind of like devolved right and a million sequels for all yeah. of those movies and so many slasher movies that are just like terrible knockoffs in fact you said you're you've never been a big horror fan no but i did i did get bullied into watching them a lot as a kid <laughs> like or peer pressured into watching them well, that's the so thing. I did that was see a, a good chunk, a good chunk of the ones they're referencing. That was the same for me too. Is I was, I still am kind of a big scaredy cat. I just really like. I wouldn't even say kind of. I'm a big scaredy cat, but I really like being scared. Mm. Um, so, but when I was a kid, I didn't. But I was still a big scaredy cat. Um, and I had a a friend leading up. So this came out in '96. I was just pushing 11. It came out at the end of the year. It was like a Christmas <laughs> movie, weirdly. Um, and uh, and so oh, leading eleven, Sorry. <laughs> leading up, <laughs> I'm just a You're tiny just a baby. baby. I'm pushing forty, but it's fine. I'm just gonna keep. Wait, ninety six. Uh, yeah, I was twenty one. Yeah, yeah, so it was the end. It was the end of ninety six. So I was eleven the next month. Um, but uh, but in in the like the year or two leading up to this, I made a friend whose mom had a huge horror movie collection mm. and also was never home. Yeah. And well, so after who was? Sc- right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One of the many single moms uh, yeah. in, in the neighborhood that I lived in and we would almost every day go to her house and just pick any random horror movie and put it on. So I had no context for like the sort of like lineage and mm-hmm. like what inspired what, cause we would just grab one and watch it. So I had seen and, and was terrified by a ton of bad horror movies. Yeah. Um, and never really liked it for that reason, I think, cause most of them were bad. Yeah. And so when I saw this movie, it was the first time I can remember being like, Oh, 
horror is good and fun. <laughs> right. Like, like a good horror movie can be genuinely scary and exciting and fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously this has way more of a sense of humor than any of those mm-hmm. other movies, which is a huge part of it. Like my favorite genre of movie is it's it's a tricky needle to thread and there aren't a ton of them but is the horror movie that is also funny but in a way that treats the comedy and the horror both seriously mm-hmm. if that makes sense and I yeah. think this is this is one of those movies for me anyway definitely um yeah I like I said I'm not a fan of horror movies but I did I say that and I think it sounds like I didn't watch them which is also <laughs> not true right because my friends in high school were a bunch of dudes that were really into metal and really into horror movies. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. You know um, you know the type. Those those guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I was friends with a bunch of guys who were like metalheads and watched a lot of horror. And I was too embarrassed to admit mm-hmm. that I didn't. Right. And so exactly. I watched yeah, all of same. them. Mm-hmm. You know. So like I watched Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2. I watched like Candyman. All of those. That's a movie... I have, I've never, this is so bizarre. I must have seen this movie when I was too young to remember it. Mm-hmm. But it is a movie that my family, when I was little, would just say the name of and I would cry. Oh. Because apparently I had, like, I don't know if I'd accidentally seen it before I was old enough to remember or what. But that is, like, there is a deep repressed trauma in my brain, I think, from that movie. Like, oh, no. Yeah. Mary Lou oh, Prom no. 19, like, you just say that. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> run, run. <laughs> Um, oh, so it's no. one I've literally never seen. Um, that you remember. And I'll bet it's, I, uh, yeah, I, it's one that I have no memory of but must have seen. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll bet that if I watched it now, it would be bad and I wouldn't be scared. <laughs> um, yeah, I but. only saw it once and I don't remember much about it other than it was like your typical slasher movie. But I think mm-hmm. that the reason that it was such a big thing with my friends was literally just the name. Okay. Because it's just such a, like... A very silly... Silly name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we were in high school, and it's a prom-themed... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Theoretically. That's the thing, too, with so many of these movies. They have to be about high schoolers. And, yes. you know, this one is such a high school movie. Yeah. Um, in a way that, that I think... And it's a, such a 90s high school movie in a way that Heather's, which we talked about last mm-hmm. week, is such an 80s high school movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's interesting because, like, we talked about Heather's being such a huge influence on me, but I was in high school primarily in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, like, I related to the 80s high school nature of Heather's a lot. But when I watched this, I also related to the 90s high school mm-hmm. nature of this because, like, like, I wasn't going to college parties when I was in high school. Right. I was going to high school parties when I was in high school. And so that felt like the party in the party scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about in Scream, mm-hmm. felt, other than the murders, like, very accurate. Yeah, it feels, as somebody who obviously wasn't in school um, at the time that Heather's is set, Heather's feels like the thing that is being poked at or I don't even know if satirized is exactly right but is the high school experience mm-hmm. and it's done through the sort of violence and murders that, that are that are heightened there and are kind of an extension of mm-hmm. what we think of the high school politics it's not what's going on with this movie right so I think the high school experience feels aside from the murders well who um 
aside from the like slasher part of it, like, yeah. which is the the horror movie is what's being poked at there. Aside from that, it feels to me anyway, from my experience, pretty authentic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. You know, just talking about the party in general and how that feels. It does feel kind of like a high school party. This is such a small detail, but do you remember last week we talked about Heather's kind of creating the language? It's not yeah. reflecting how people were talking then. It's creating the way people talked after. Yes. And I said, I think Clueless does the same thing, mm-hmm. but but it's so part of my childhood that it was hard for me to say. Yes. But Clueless comes out in 1995 when Randy shows up and he finds out that Billy is that Billy and Sid are upstairs talking. Um, and he's like, oh, there goes my shot with Sid. And then Matt Lillard says, as if. And Randy's like, oh, as if, Alicia. Cause it's oh, so, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because it's so tied to, again, it's if that were just a thing people in the 90s said, right. that, that reference wouldn't have been so yeah. Uh, pronounced. Yeah. No, I totally caught that, too. But it's only a year later. that That's wild. Like, yeah. So... Should we, like, just quickly run through the plot of the movie, or is that, like, pointless with this movie that everyone has seen but me? Yeah, I think that's a good idea, because I want us to be able to refer back to the thing at the end that really kind of was so um, surprising and, you know. Yeah, um, except to me. So, <laughs> you, so I always you... suspect the boyfriend. I... But but what about the double? No, the double I didn't suspect. That's that that's what I'm talking me. about. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, so um, let's talk quickly about the plot, like literally like less than five minutes just to get us on the right page. Yeah, if you want like a real breakdown, like scene by scene of this, there are so many watch um, the movie. podcasts. Well, watch the movie <laughs> and then also um, because we're building a larger conversation related to other movies and to our previous watching habits and all of that, um, it's just this isn't this isn't what our off season is. Yeah. is Nobody needs be. a recap of a movie that came out what twenty years ago. That's like in <laughs> detail. Well, hmm. I'm an obsessive, <laughs> so I just don't think it's what our show yes. is, and I think Agreed. that's okay. Also, um, ninety six was more than twenty years ago. Also, I haven't listened to it um, because, or no, this isn't. That's not true. I haven't listened to this episode that I'm about to recommend since it aired um last year sometime maybe even the year before um because i specifically when i know we're going to talk about something i stay away from mm-hmm. I but anyway um i know unspooled did an episode oh. on it and so that's i mean that's the show to listen to if what you want is a really in-depth analysis of the movie itself kind of devoid of yeah yeah so, and i would also uh, recommend sure i don't know if they've job. done if they've done Scream, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I'm also a fan of the Rewatchables podcast on the Ringer Podcast oh, Network. Cool. Uh-huh. And they do something similar where they will like really go through in with a fine tooth comb the movie. So I'm not cool. sure if they've done Scream, but if they have, that would be worth yeah. listening to also. And because it has a million sequels and stuff, there are full on podcasts that are dedicated to the Scream universe. Franchise, yeah. Yeah. So so there are plenty of places. We're not, you know, interested anyway. <laughs> so all that to say quickly yes scream is about a high school in california group of friends our protagonist is sydney prescott who a year before the events of the movie um her mother was brutally raped and murdered um 
the person who was accused of the killing is Cotton Weary, a man who... Great name. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a good horror movie. So many good names name. in this movie. It reminds me of Kane Hodder, who is the um, person in the Michael Myers oh. jumpsuit in the in the Halloween movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of great names in this movie. Yes. Um, and uh, Sydney's testimony was like crucial in putting Cotton away. Mm-hmm. Movie opens... Drew Barrymore is murdered by somebody and her, yeah. and her boyfriend horrifically. It's the goriest scene in the movie. Um, and then the rest of the movie is Sydney trying to survive this killer who clearly has it out for her and the mm-hmm. people around her being kind of like systematically murdered. Yeah. Um, we just want to spoil the end. Yeah. Let's Not just spoil, spoil it. But um we the movie sets up pretty much everybody except Sydney as a possible suspect, mm-hmm. um, and at the end you find out that it is in fact her boyfriend and his best friend, I guess, um, Stu. Played by so that's Matthew Lillard. <laughs> played wonderfully, incredibly, perfectly by Matthew Lillard. Um, Somehow I liked him more at the end when I knew I, he was a murderer than I, I did know. at the beginning when he was just a dick. I know. And a teenage boy. Yeah. It is that his that is character trick. is I am obsessed with um, how weirdly lovable he is and how uh, sympathetic I feel about him. At movie. least compared to Billy. Oh, big time. I mean, because Billy is pulling the yeah. strings so hard on poor. You find out at the end that Stu thinks the two of them are on some wild murder spree because because it's like fun and exciting and murders are incidental or motives are incidental and and then you find out that billy has a very specific reason yeah um, very very specific vendetta against sydney's family because mm-hmm. her mom slept with his dad and like ended right. his parents marriage yeah um and so Stu does not seem to know the depth of that going yeah into poor it. guy i thought he was just killing people for fun <laughs> and it turned exactly. out there was a motive yeah, well, I think, and, huh, God, I want to get into the the love story between, the confirmed love story between Billy and Stu. Confirmed? Um, yeah, so. Tell me. Well, so, so let's back up a little bit. So Kay. that's the movie. Yes. Directed by Wes Craven, mm-hmm. one of our icons. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote and directed the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, he wrote and directed the first one. He co-wrote and produced the third, which is Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, which is so silly. Um, he also wrote and directed uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is mm. super a super meta. It's doing a version of what Scream ends up being later. Yeah. Um, that was like a sort of earlier attempt at mm-hmm. the sort of meta commentary that this movie is. Yeah. Oh, and then, I mean, hugely, he directed uh, Last House on the Left, The Mm. Hills Have Eyes, The People Under the Stairs, which is one of those horror comedy movies that I loved as a kid. Mm. Um, And then uh, a few other things. Um, I mean, I I can fire them off. Red Eye, which is a movie I don't really care about. Um, Swamp Thing, Serpent in the Rainbow, which fucked me up as a kid. Uh, Shocker, Vampire in Brooklyn, and then Music of the Heart, which is not a horror movie at yeah. all. Um, Little detour there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Legend. Ab- absolutely. Um, and so someone who deeply understands the genre. 
but it who was helped written. create the current genre. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, movie was written by Kevin Williamson. Mm-hmm. Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, obviously, also Scream 2. Then also, I know what you did last summer, The Faculty, Teaching Mrs. Tingle. So um, hmm. these movies that were in the way that like we just fired off Wes Craven as being like, oh, he kind of really set a lot of the standard for the genre at the time. Kevin Williamson sort of ends up doing that again because I think Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer those two really set because then Teen Slashers became a thing again yeah Um, totally the Scream movies I Know What You Did Last Summer Urban Legend which I kind of love I think that one's maybe a little bit of a guilty uh pleasure but um and and then again all the movies that he wrote like I said but then also important to me is uh he's the creator and uh lead writer on Dawson's Creek oh okay which is my maybe my favorite show it is so important to me my dog's name is literally pacey yeah yeah Um, it also explains something that something i really like about him that other people have also you know that thing where people complain about teens in movies and tv shows not talking like teens Mm -hmm. he's somebody who's very intentional about that he's somebody Mm. who like um uh, he who shall not be named. Uh, though I'm gonna name him like Joss Whedon, who is a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like Joss Whedon has has done this thing of like I like I let my teens talk, I let my teens have the ability to articulate feelings that they might not have actually had the language for, or that I might not have had the language for when I was mm. a teenager. Um, because it's not that teens teens don't talk like that because they have, like. Like no uh, no feelings or, yeah, or yeah. like simple uncomplex like inner lives. It's yeah. just you know yeah. Um, and so I like that. And so there are there are certain ways in Scream I think where the the teens don't necessarily talk like teens. Though I only I don't totally think that's true. I think these it didn't stand out pretty, to me as yeah. an unrealistic. Maybe just because we watched Heather's last week, which is so mannered <laughs> yeah. and so specific. Yeah, totally. This felt much more natural than that. But the reason that Kevin Williamson, that I, I really want to talk about him is and why I said confirmed love story to an extent, um, is that Kevin Williamson is gay. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he was out at the time. Um, Nobody but, was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stu and Billy are, whether or not confirmed or not, fully queer coded. Like yeah. it's, And at the very least, Stu is, I think, pretty obviously obsessed with Billy in a way. Yes. Um, but Kevin Williamson has said, I um Scream screenwriter Kevin Williamson confirms Billy and Stu's queer coded relationship was based on real gay killers. Um, this is a Pride Source article. And he says, um, it's very sort of homoerotic in the <laughs> sense that there were these two guys that killed this other person just to see if they could get away with it. Um, it's the Leopold and Loeb are there. I'm just going to read from this a little bit. In May 1924, Leopold and Loeb, who've been called the LGBTQ plus prototype for Bonnie and Clyde, killed a 14-year-old Bobby Franks as an act of intellectual superiority. Obviously, this is very sad. I'm not, yeah. I don't want to glorify that. It's been called the perfect crime, one that has influenced Alfred Hitchcock's rope, as well as the 2002 crime thriller Murder by Numbers, um, mm. and both of which are noted for their homoeroticism. Hmm. Now, nearly three decades after Scream came out, theorists can finally categorize categorize Scream in that same queer-coded realm. And now this is Williamson. 
It's very sort of homoerotic in the sense that there were these two guys that killed this other person just to see if they could get away with it, Williamson said, drawing parallels between the Leopold and Loeb case and Billy and Stu. Hmm. And one of the reasons that one could get the other one to follow is because I think the other one was secretly in love with him. And it was sort of a fascinating case study on double murderers. If you hmm. Google Leopold and Loeb, you'll see and you'll read about it and you go, OK, that's Billy and Stu. Huh. That's interesting because not knowing any of that, mm-hmm. I fully picked up on that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I especially, like I don't know if we need to go chronologically, but especially when we get to the end and the two of them are in the kitchen, mm-hmm. it just the body language was so there, like yeah. the you know more so than any other time in the movie because they do have to play this sort of both both ways, so to speak. They have mm-hmm. to play it like creepy teenage boy using words like tease and being icky and like pressuring her to have sex and all of that stuff is like Billy does with Sydney. But also the relationship between the two of them has to be percolating enough that at the end, when you see them as this pair, it makes sense. Yeah. So, and I think that they, they did that because I, I got it when we got to that point, I was surprised, but also like, they had this like physical connection in that scene mm-hmm. in the kitchen that was like really specific. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and so, you know, I like when our queer characters can be also murderers. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's good and important. That's progress. <laughs> Some of us suck. Yes. Um, I think, or at the very least, again, I said, you know, that in love, I don't know that I think Billy... No, I don't see it from that direction. I think he's manipulating. I think Billy is well aware that Stu has feelings for him and is using that to get Stu to go along with. Totally. Yes, I see that too. I think what I want to know from you, Mm -hmm. if you can articulate it, Mm -hmm. why is this movie so important to you? Why was this the first one that you wanted me to watch when you found out I hadn't seen it? Um, so the the first thing is, and I, I talked about this a little bit up top, is I think as someone who is a fearful person in general, um, like I said, I watched a lot of horror movies and did not have a good time watching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a young person, this is the first time where I really felt like I did and where I, it kind of like made me feel like I could have a sort of control over my fear that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because I think the women in this movie especially especially Sydney though though Casey to an extent um are not the same kind of well <laughs> Casey's not a final girl she's a first girl mm-hmm. but she's set up she would be the final girl in the right. movie that it's setting up um are she's so strong and she's so powerful but not in a way that is unbelievable sydney makes some mistakes though when she says like she says she doesn't like horror movies uh because they're all the same it's always some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who always runs up the stairs when she should be going out the front door they're ridiculous yeah and And then she runs up the stairs later but only because she has to but she knows so it's i i love that this is a horror movie that is um the most kind of like realistic version of one of these that, that we've had i think that's really um, it, you know, you know what's hard is you're asking that question, and because it's so ingrained in my DNA, I was so young when I saw it. It's hard to say what things I love now because of this movie, mm-hmm. you know? Because I was just about to say, like, I'm such a sucker for anything that is 
making a comment on the thing that it is. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in the meta part of it, but this is probably the first version of that I ever saw. So I can't even say it's because I was drawn to this. Like, yeah, it, I think it kind of created that interest in me. Again, maybe I'm, I'm just kind of teasing this out in a way that is a little overworked, but I am... We're making a podcast about a movie that's 30 <laughs> years old. Oh, Jesus Christ, Jody! Not 30. Uh, almost, though. <laughs> almost. Yeah. Um, it is, I think, self-awareness in general and, like, introspection is really important. And mm. I like that this is a movie that is doing that but having fun with it yeah um i also was just in love with everybody in this movie when yeah I was so just to be perfectly honest yeah like that's also yeah no that makes sense to me i think the thing that i really thought about throughout this entire movie that maybe relates to what you were saying about nev campbell's character is and also relates to our conversation about heathers last week is the politics of teen male female relationships mm -hmm. at this time mm -hmm. in the 90s and also in the late 80s with heathers because we talked last week about how the scene at the party where heather chandler who i kept calling heather mcnamara heather chandler is um not coerced but kind of coerced into mm -hmm. giving that college kid a blowjob like and the fact that I didn't react to that at all watching that movie because right. like that was just so normal. A lot of things in this movie really kind of like set off my alarm bells in the same way watching it now as a 47 year old, like mm -hmm. um, Billy's behavior towards Sydney. Like that's why I said like I suspected it was him for most of the movie because of the way that our culture now recognizes the toxicity of that specific interaction, him pressuring her to have sex, him calling her a tease, mm -hmm. him like showing up at her house just to kind of, you know, see how far he could get with her. Um, those, yeah. Those scenes are so, are gross and become more so the older I get. And because they're played up till when they actually do have sex, they're played kind of playfully in a weird mm. way. Like, like, yes. Um, he says the thing of the like some over the clothes stuff, but mm -hmm. then immediately, yeah, starts to like try to put his hand under her nightgown. So that's that's the first thing. But then when she makes him leave, it's not in like a for the mystery of who the murderer is to work. Mm -hmm. You can't totally distrust Billy, right? And I think in '96 we didn't. No, exactly. watching it now, exactly as you were saying. Like, if I had seen this movie when I was in high school, I would have not had the same radar go off mm -hmm. at all about his behavior. Right. right. You know, uh, like, it's interesting to think about this movie being written when it was written and who the killer ended up being. Mm -hmm. Watching it now, I feel like it's more obvious than it would have been if I was watching it in high school because that kind of behavior was so normal. Mm -hmm. He mentions totally. the underwear rule, like all this stuff about like the boundaries she's trying to keep and that he's trying to push and all of that. Like that to me now is so fucking creepy and so gross. But in high mm -hmm. school, I would not have thought about it that way. Right. Right. It was so normal. It's, this stuff with Sydney and sex is so interesting to me. We're back, folks. I'm going to put that on your bingo card. It's Andrea's so interesting. Interested. Andrea, find something interesting because 
when he says, and it's gross, but when they're talking, he says, like, we were, when we first started, we were, like, in our, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on our way to an NC-17. Right. Sydney is not not having sex with Billy. I get the impression that, and it didn't really occur to me until this time watching it, thinking about the conversation we had about Heather's last week. Sydney is not not having sex with Billy. I don't get the impression because she's like saving herself for marriage or something like that. And it's she's in a horror movie and our lead girl is, quote unquote, supposed to be a virgin. That's Mm -hmm. like a big deal. Um, But she's also what I like about this movie is that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven aren't. I don't think they're interested in that beyond the trope of it because i think right. sydney the reason sydney's not having sex with billy is because her mom was raped and murdered a year ago exactly yes like that is a perfect not that there are any bad reasons to not have sex i don't mean that but you and i have talked about how like high schoolers have sex yeah and everyone i literally have a note that says all the teenagers <laughs> i knew in the 90s were having sex which and is it, true when it wasn't a huge the huge deal, deal that no. they make it in in movies in general yeah. I mean, obviously, that's not true for everybody, but yeah, but but so it's I kind of I like that they preserve that trope for Sydney because it's it's interesting at the end for her to have sex. And then you think, you know, if yeah. this were one of those horror movies that it's commenting on, she would die. Right. Um, but it doesn't happen. And again, it's not because her virginity is being associated with some sort of like purity or goodness right no totally i like what you said about how it's like the only thing it's used for in that way is to comment on it right like she's not being shamed for being a sexual person at all in the Mm -hmm. movie i didn't feel no it's more like i immediately was like when i found out that her mom had been raped and murdered i'm like oh that's why she's not having sex with him yeah (laughs) she's in a trauma like that has to do with Sex, also, even though she wasn't raped. It doesn't matter. Like, that's, right. I mean, yeah. So anyway, all that to say, I was fully creeped out by his behavior in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I was less surprised than maybe I would have been had I watched this in high school. Yeah, he was watching in- this as an adult, knowing how, like, I had a picture of him in my, like, well, we, I should say, the notebook that my friends and I passed around in, <laughs> like, that following year. There was a picture of him on the inside cover. Like, I... <laughs> He's because he's also oh my god he's also gross though less greasy but still gross in the craft but between those two movies yeah but it says a lot that he was gross in both of those movies and I still was fully in love some of us were into gross dudes (laughs) like we were we were conditioned to be yeah yeah no totally but I mean like I I will say that when I was watching movies like like this when I was a teenager, I absolutely was attracted to the Skeet Ulrich guy, not mm-hmm. the football player, 100% yeah. of the time. Oh, Steve? Yeah, who cares? But so I just to kind of keep talking for a minute about mm-hmm. the male-female politics in this movie, because I do think it's super interesting and indicative of the time. I and think something... Hold on. I, we'll get, I just... I don't want to talk too much about anything spoilery with Yellow Jackets, uh-huh. but... One of the interesting thing, things about Yellow Jackets for the high school part is because they've all been removed from their high school experience where we've seen, we don't see, other than Travis and Nat, who are in a completely extraordinary circumstances, but like 
we don't see a lot of the the high school politics in general like play out very differently in the woods but then also we don't we just it's interesting to see how this stuff changes when you remove the settings from that setting yeah Yeah. that's all that's all totally but i think that so (laughs) i don't want to take this from like a fun podcast to a not fun podcast but but the Violence Against Women Act was passed two years before this movie came out. Mm-hmm. And domestic violence dropped significantly. Mm-hmm. And then it was repealed. Mm-hmm. And the thing about this movie that I was uncomfortable with was only related to real world experiences. And like, I know this is a fantasy. It's a horror movie. It's pulling on all these tropes. But like, these tropes exist for a reason. Yeah. And like, Again, not to get too dark, but I recently texted you about the girl that I grew up with who was one of my, I had two, there were two women, girls growing up that were really, really hard on me. They were very, very big time bullies, made my life hell, all that stuff. One of whom just recently followed me on Instagram. The other one, however, was murdered by her husband Mm -hmm. and he took off with her two children and she was stabbed to death by him. And, like, so part of watching this for me is, like, oh, this is fun. This is the 90s. Look at the phones. Why are there so many doors? Like, you know, they keep calling cell phones cellular phones. Like, all of the silliness of that, but it's sort of the flip side of that is the slasher movie trope itself Mm -hmm. is still hard. Like Like I said, I don't like movies where women are killed yeah you know and like this is a real thing yeah and it isn't to say that women weren't murdered before this and so it was easier in 96 absolutely not no but the conversation is obviously so much bigger now and so much more in our in our culture it's funny that you say that because i was thinking about it in terms of again which i i I can't not for any high school movie columbine Mm -hmm. like the way that we say like heather's couldn't be made now in the same way yeah weirdly we know that's not the case for scream because a new one came out this year right um yes and i i think like i i don't know why um it's different i guess it's i mean it's different because it's not just women being murdered in the scream movies it's not just high schoolers being murdered in the scream movies so i think that that opens it up little bit mm-hmm. but there's a moment well again is, another move sorry just to quickly interrupt also yeah. it's self-aware about the fact that yes. women are the focus of these movies and the fact that there's all these tropes around women and victimhood mm-hmm. that it's aware of and playing with right and so that i think allows it like to do it without being blind to it mm-hmm. like i said when we started i liked this movie even yeah. though it brought up all the shit for me. Right. All of that can be true and it can still be hard to watch yeah. those scenes. For As that a reason. woman who is aware of the violence that is available to us mm-hmm. at all times, you know? Right. Right. Um, there is a little moment that, that, that stopped me that I'd never noticed or thought about before. Uh, but again, on the heels of our Heather's conversation and, and our Columbine mm. conversation, when Dewey drops them off at school, he says, it's school, you'll be safe here. Yeah. And we know, like, again, our, 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 our fun our fun podcast, but, like, 
that's we know that's not not true. true. Yeah, that's not true at all. And it, to an extent, slasher movie or not, it wasn't true in '96. Really, like there no. were all kinds of, but it's never degree... really been true. But there is this like sort of period of time where it went from the kind of violence you could expect to experience in school was <laughs> fights, people getting beat up, emotional violence, right, things like that. And we're talking, obviously, about a certain suburban high school experience that is right. always portrayed in these movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, it's within that that realm. But where it went from a certain kind of violence that could be expected in high school, you know, like somebody threatening to beat you up on the playground after school or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or like emotional violence to something much more extreme in school right. shootings. Right. So, Yeah. But at high school has never been a safe place. It just got a lot less safe in like mm-hmm. the mid nineties. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Shortly after this movie. Yeah. Um, that's just a line that you wouldn't be able to say so offhandedly now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I can imagine for people that are younger than me that haven't seen this movie, I feel like watching it would be a very different experience because of that, like sense of school not being a safe place ever right. and the scenes right. where there's like reporters in front of the school and mm-hmm. the cops are there like mm-hmm. that is an experience that a lot of my students have had right in right. high school you know or in elementary school where mm-hmm. you know there's reporters outside their school because there was a shooting that's such a good point where even if not to the degree that to the, to the degree that is happening in this movie or then in in our reality with schools like I'll, I'll keep using Columbine as the shorthand because it's a little more in the distance and so that feels a little yeah easier but I mean, to me but I've had students that have been in some of those major recent school shootings mm-hmm. and like I feel like they could still appreciate this movie for the silly slasher film that it is and for its meta commentary. But I think that there are scenes that might be, that might read differently to them. Right. Right. You know, than they do to me or even to you, you know, Mm -hmm. from the specific generation that you're from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which is, and it's, it's crazy that, so when was Heather's? uh, 88. 88. So this isn't even 10 years. Yeah. 96. Later. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, it feels like a different generation of movie, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. I just, I found an article that maybe we should link to um, that kind of gives the context that I was talking about with the Violence Against Women Act and all of that from the Smithsonian Mm -hmm. Magazine. Okay. Came out in 2021. Because they also talk about the the way that this movie portrays the media as Mm -hmm. sort of like as courtney cox's character as this like sort of unfeeling vulture yeah that's exploiting these um these kids basically and i think that's another really interesting angle on this Mm -hmm. because of the 90s ish turn towards sensationalism 24-hour news like you know the way that these cases like we all watched the fucking oj truck Uh, drive around the bronco you know and so that's it's so like 
it's so common now for these things to be that sensationalized that we don't recognize it anymore, I don't think, mm-hmm. in the same way. But in the 90s, this was kind of a new thing. Yeah, Gail writing her book is seen yeah. as kind of, I mean, we it is slimy, but it's it's a slimy thing that happens all the time. Now, true crime is... Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah true crime podcasts like mm-hmm. i was just gonna say just to f- end my thought about the smithsonian article um in that article they talk about how the debate about on-screen violence was really um prominent in the mm-hmm. mid-90s mm-hmm. um so it says like and i'm quoting here americans were increasingly worried that graphic on-screen sex and violence would lead to a drastic rise in antisocial behavior um and president clinton even at the time um, introduced something called the V-chip for televisions, the violence chip that allowed parents to block certain programming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on oh a rating God, system. Oh, my God, I forgot about the V-chip. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was right at that time. And so all oh. of that is kind of in the ether as well. God, that's so... Huh. I have like 12 things I want to say now just based on that. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> so the first thing is I'm going to keep pointing back to Heather's because mm-hmm. we, the like, the people sensationalizing what's going on in Heather's are, I, the media's there, yeah. like, right? There are scenes. Yes. But it's also the teachers and the community in general. Um, the and media's not the focus in the same way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in Scream, there's that scene with the two, the two shitty girls that Sydney overhears talking in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Who feel like they could be in a movie like Heather's. It feels like they were um, in Heather's, yeah. Yeah, and she says they're going back and forth about who it could be. Um, and uh, the one girl says, like, cut Sydney some slack. She watched someone get murdered. And the other one's like, yeah, and it fucked her up royally. Um, she says, one day she snaps. She wants to kill herself, but realizes teen suicide is out this year. Mm-hmm. And homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression. Like, yeah. That just feels like such a direct... It feels like it was pulled from Heather's. Yeah. Like the yeah. Heather's two years later, 10 years later, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, I, and it's, you asked why this movie and what we went back and forth for a little while. And I think the more obvious and natural follow up to Heather's is a movie like Jawbreaker, mm-hmm. um, which is another Rose McGowan movie, actually, which is much more uh about the high school like satirizing the high school experience more so than the than a specific genre of movie um but but it's interesting there are still things like this that do come up in this movie that when i was thinking about what our follow-up would be that this was the one that i really um it really stuck with me and then the other one asks where do you get this shit she says ricky lake (laughs) yes i did love the reference to ricky lake Mm -hmm. the hold that she had on us yeah, and again, speaking of like sensationalized media, like that's this movie knows exactly what it's doing there. Yeah. So just to wrap up that little bit about that article, um, the thing that I thought was super interesting was that actually violent crime decreased really sharply around this time. So it says, I'm quoting, in reality, violent crime decreased sharply from 10, by 10% 10 from 1995 to 96, marking a third year of decline. The dramatic dip was likely due in part to the 1994 Violence Against Women Act, um, which strengthened legal protections against domestic violence. In 1991, 60% of women who were murdered knew their attacker, including half who were killed by a spouse or partner. Before the law was enacted, intimate partner violence, sexual assault, and stalking were considered, quote unquote, family matters, and protection orders were invalid beyond state lines. So 
this is the conversation that was happening at this time also, which I think is super interesting that this movie somehow managed to play with that idea in a way that while it did kind of like raise alerts for me, I wasn't, um, I still like the movie. I wasn't offended by it. Right. You well, know, because this sort of like the V chip and, and the idea that horror movies and video games make people violent mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, as opposed to what what good horror does, which is rather than like creating fears, they're like a good horror movie is a way to wrestle with a fear that already exists. And that's why I'm not saying anything new here. Yeah. Um, that's why what what kind of horror movies are popular at what time are such a direct way to trace what the anxieties of a culture are yeah and it's also you know horror can be a really great way to create metaphor for larger societal Mm -hmm. problems as evidenced by of course the brilliant jordan peele and get out as well as his later films but specifically get out is the one that i saw and loved that's Um, a great example yeah Yeah. or how we see things like zombie movies again Mm. this is for anyone who spends any time thinking about horror at all you've you've heard this i'm not this is not me breaking any ground, but, you know, zombie movies becoming a big deal um, again in the in the 80s, um, right around the same time as the um, AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, good, good film and media rec- wrestles with the issues of the day in a way that allows us to see them through another lens. Right. right. And I think that. I do think that even though I didn't love this movie, I appreciated it and I actually was willing to watch it again to like pick stuff out. Right. And I I liked it. I laughed. There were moments that I enjoyed. Like I think because we had recently had a conversation about the girl I grew up with that was murdered by her mm-hmm. husband, that just that's gonna be that lens just covered this entire movie right. for me from the moment that Billy starts pressuring her to have sex. I was like it was Here very reactive. Because mm-hmm. like last week, we also talked about Brett Kavanaugh and the trial mm-hmm. and the behavior of men, and specifically in the 90s, but also now, and sometimes right. worse now, like, you know, the whole incel movement that we brought up, like, mm-hmm. all of that is like, also flying around in my brain as I'm watching right. this like really fun horror movie that is dealing with some of the same issues, but not in the way that <laughs> they've been in my brain lately. Right, right. Although I will say it is real, it feels really good when Gail comes in with the gun in her hand. Yeah, and she says like you know she like gives this new ending, and then Sydney says I like that ending, and you see them pair up, and yeah, and the movie ends with the two of them as as our heroes. Um, Absolutely, yes, feels so good. Yes, a hundred percent, and the fact that like there's that moment at the very end where. Um, Randy says something about how this is when the killer would show that he wasn't dead yet. <laughs> He's like, and yeah. Billy like sits up and she shoots him in the head. And it's like, uh-huh. yeah, like it's, it does have a very, from that perspective, a very satisfying ending. It is very funny that Sydney puts the costume on to kill him with the umbrella though at the end when she's in the closet. Yeah. That's yeah. a choice. <laughs> that costume is so silly. I know that this has been discussed to death. But that guy was just, and now knowing that it was Matthew Lillard, I think the satisfying part of looking back at the the killer himself in those scenes is how silly 
and lanky they're, and like they're high school boys bumbly like, yeah he is they're not i mean they do a lot of murder but they're yeah high school like not they're not practiced killers they think they are they think they are because they've watched a lot of horror movies yeah um but the killer like as he's running around chasing people looks like his legs and arms are too long <laughs> he's still growing yeah <laughs> these are yeah Jesus. Which is why it made me laugh. There are a couple of very silly. The jumps, some of the jump scares in this movie are great. And some of them are so funny and so silly. There's the one, it's not really a jump scare, but I remember as a kid, it startling me when Sydney's outside during the day and then you see Ghostface like scamper by. He looks like Bigfoot at one point. He like yeah. looks, he's like down the barrel. He like almost looks into the camera. Yeah. That's what I mean about the silliness of, of it. Yeah. Like it's. But I think that's what I mean where I think the movie knows in those moments that it's being funny. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. I think it's fully intentional. I mean, like I read a bunch about how they kind of settled on that mask, but I think the thing that struck me about the costume was not so much the mask because it's so ubiquitous at this point. Mm-hmm. But the fact, and I think I texted you this, his black cape outfit thing is sparkly. <laughs> it looks like like sparkly felt that you would buy from like Michaels. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, because you know he bought it at a store because he's a high school kid. Yeah. He. I don't. I mean, I guess they have cars, but they're like going out after school and picking the like. Yeah. Scariest quote unquote costume that they could, and that's what they got. Yeah. So. No, good. it made me really. It made me laugh when I noticed that. Yeah, we talked very serious about a lot of serious things um, because I, I think that is worth doing. But also there are so many fun things like that in this movie. That totally. Are so, so over the top. Like when when um, Henry Winkler, who, again, he's somebody who is beloved. Yes. Now, right. But I don't think he was doing much after he was the Fonz and before this movie. This feels like an in-between, really... like, he he appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and he's so goofy and kind of lovable and and reasonably angry. And there is about 10 seconds where you think maybe he's the killer. Yeah, they give him a um, moment of, of us thinking that. Which is really fun. And then he scares himself with the, like, just, and oh, and there's the leather jacket in his closet in the, um, in the principal's office. Oh, I totally missed that. And then when he goes out into the hallway and the janitor's there, it's so not... First of all, that's Wes Craven. I know. Um, I re- I've read that after the fact, yeah. <laughs> fully dressed as Freddy. As Freddy Krueger. Fred. Yes. It's not you, Fred. Like, any one of those things would have been... A, could have been, like, a subtle nod. But they lay it on... So thick. So thick. Yeah. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Totally. I also... Phones have a really significant... Yes. And time-specific role... In this yes. movie, everything from like the brick cordless How phones to like that phone is yeah to the the newness of cell phones at the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody calling them cellular phones, like we said. Um, but the also, fact alone that Billy has one is enough to incriminate him in Sid's eyes. Yeah, yes, that. So for people that are younger than us, or maybe even people your age, I don't know. But like, I got my first cell phone in 1995, and I was. 
you were ahead of the curve. I was. There were I was there weren't a lot of other people I knew that had them. I had it specifically because I was commuting to Montclair and my dad was worried I would like mm. get stuck on the highway. And so I barely used it. It was just right. to have I didn't use it really to call people even. I just had right. it in case it was an I case broke phone. down and needed to call my dad. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, my grandparents had a car phone Ugh. that I don't think they ever used. Yeah. Um and I didn't get my first cell phone. I got my first cell phone in high school. It was a little brick thing. Like Nokia. It was it was a Nokia. I thought it was incredible because you could download the little MIDI like ringtone and I had take on me. Um, nice. And I probably paid five fucking dollars for it. Yeah. Um, and I think I was a junior, senior in high school. And I was pretty early to having my own cell phone even then. Like... Yeah. Not, that was not normal back then. Yeah. Less, I would say like less than half of my friends had their own phone. Um, yeah. First of all, they were expensive. Like They were. And parents thought, like, I think didn't like the idea. It's funny now because I think parents didn't like the idea of you having something unmonitored mm-hmm. like that. Well, um, it, for, it really was like a safety thing for a lot I of had, us when we first got them. Yeah. I had mine. I paid for mine because... I, I worked from the age that I could. Like, I got yeah, my same. first job. My first, like, actual, like, on the books job when I was 14, which was same. the earliest. You could legally do that. Yep. Um, King Supermarket in Ridgewood. <laughs> I worked at a fast food. This is when we play the, like, Jersey bingo card. I worked at a, a fast food um, restaurant in the Echelon Mall uh, was my first job. And... Um, and but when I got my cell phone, I was working at a movie theater and I would close. So it would mm. be like I, I'd be leaving the theater after midnight. Um, yeah. And, and so when I worked was... in my video store job, I was often the last person there closing mm-hmm. up and had my phone with me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But but so in 96, that was not typical. So it was unusual alone, that he had yeah. it for sure. And yep. also just the the red herring of the, it, the calls coming from his dad's number mm-hmm. or her dad's number excuse me and how it was like oh but he cloned the number and how that was like a weird like I, the way they say that so offhand is if those two dingbats would know how to clone like, i just what? assumed that they like killed the dad and stole the phone or something took his phone yeah that was my first thought too yeah the idea of cloning the phone number like mm-hmm. i don't think so also when she this is me I, when she, I don't know what, if I'm too young or too old for it not to make sense to me when she calls or like uh, IM's 911. I know. That was, how does, I don't know that that's possible. I, maybe I mean, it I, had to have been, but it must, yeah, but, but it's such a weird, that wasn't a, I don't, if you're younger than Jody and I, people were not calling 911 from their computer. Not that I know the, of. Right? Like, I don't think so. I also don't know how you would have done that if your line was cut. You needed the phone line to be unless on the she internet. Had a, unless she was one of those fancy people with the second phone line. Yeah, but if you cut the phone to the house, doesn't that cut right. both lines? Oh, yeah. It's they're there's not like separate a splitter. physical. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was a fancy kid. I had my own phone line. Mm-hmm. I, did, I did eventually, but not yeah, anyway. Yeah. Not in 96. Yeah. Um, See, I don't know what that was about. That was weird. Um, so there were some other things besides phones that were really fun 
sort of 90s references. Mm-hmm. Um, both of us, we have spoken about before, worked in video stores. You at Hollywood oh. Video and me at Empire Video. And all the old plastic cases. We literally oh. talked about this when we did our superlatives for Yellow Jackets. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, like, what... Um, what one of them would become TikTok famous now and what for. And we were saying yeah, how yeah, Van yeah. would be famous for, on TikTok for like the ASMR videos of the, the, video, the VCR cases and the rewinder. Randy that, would have been somebody who saw that and then also did it. He yeah. would pick up on the trend. Yeah. No, I loved seeing all the old, like the video store setting for part of God. it and all the old uh, tapes and cases that were laying around. Because that was the year, I think, 96. I think I was working in the video store in 96. Yeah, I definitely was. I definitely was. I was. I worked at the video store my, like, I was out of high school. It was, like, right after my senior year, actually, um, which is feels like a little late to have that kind of job. But, um, uh, oh, I was still, in college. Yeah. We still had VHS tapes, and we were making the switch to DVDs when I worked there. So we you had could come buy our VHS tapes. And yeah, keep them. we had VHS tapes. We also had what were they? The big ones, like the laser discs. Y- yes, there's a movie on there. Yes, we had those too for a while. It's from SLC Punk. You haven't seen that, right? I did one time. Oh god, long that's time ago. One. That's another one. Depending on how long this strike goes, we might end up watching SLC Punk. Okay. Um. Another Matt Lillard movie. The nineties cars in this movie made me happy too. Uh huh. There are there really aren't station wagons anymore like they used to be. Yeah, the cars are are pretty fantastic. And the, the crank windows. Like when she's rolling up the windows as he's uh-huh. like approaching the car. It just reminded me so much of having to drive on the parkway to go to college every day. Like I went I was a commuter to Montclair and mm-hmm. I had crank windows. And for so leaning across. Well, and also for our Jersey listeners, the parkway, you had to have the 35 cents. Mm -hmm. You had to roll the window down as you were going. You had to have that motion where Uh you would like be rolling the window down, throw the coins in, keep driving. No hands on the steering wheel. No hands on the wheels. I drove stick also (laughs) like my whole growing up. So like it, kids today. (laughs) will never know. (laughs) Only 90s kids will know. The skill set involved. Uh huh. In driving a manual transmission with crank windows on the Garden State Parkway <laughs> in 1996, and having to pay those tolls. Oh man. Yeah, not a uh, skill set that comes into my uh, daily life these days. But no, I was very sadly, good at it. No. Yeah. The 90s fashion in this movie: Tatum is impeccably dressed <laughs> at um, all times. Eyebrows, so ridiculous. The tiny <laughs> eyebrows. Just the littlest. Just the littlest. Just eyebrows. a little line. <laughs> tiny eyebrows for the women. Gigantic shirts for the men. Yeah. Matt Lillard just swimming in his clothes in this yes, movie. Yes. Absolutely. He's such and a of course the 90s hair. Oh, the yeah. like. I mean, well, we talked about this. I don't know if we were on mic yet about how I had that Nev Ham- Campbell haircut. <laughs> those bangs, those big, beautiful yeah. bangs. Yes. But not 80s bangs. No. They were like, no. not big in that way. They were just full. Well, be- 
full is a great because you know what it was the bangs I had were when I was a kid I gave I had really long hair I have long hair now but I had it was like down to my waist um and I cut it when I was little and so we had to get it fixed and they fixed it by giving me what was basically like a bowl cut Mm -hmm. um and then when I grew it back out I left the front of the bowl cut so my bangs were as thick and they started in the middle of my head <laughs> mm-hmm. as all of the rest of my hair. And so you didn't have to because in the 80s you would have less bangs and so you would have to roll them and blow them out so that they could get big and voluminous. Mm-hmm. But Nev's just got, that's just Nev's hair doing Nev, you know? Yeah. Do you want to wax poetic about Matthew Lillard at all? <laughs> Because I, you really wanted to when we were texting last night about this um, or two nights ago. The lines that he has in the end of the movie, him his, in general. His dialogue in this movie is perfect from beginning to end. The scene, I don't know why I know it by heart, but when they're out. It, I mean, it's because I've seen this movie so long. That was a stupid thing or so many times. That was a stupid thing to say. But it, he starts being perfect and horrible when they're talking about the murder. Yes. And Absolutely. they do the like the, the um how do you gut someone? He's like, yep. well, you take a knife and you slit him. From he starts explaining it. Yeah. Um, and oh, I really like. It's called tact you fuck rag. <laughs> we just made up curses in the nineties. Yes. She also uh, Tatum or no Sydney also calls him a goon fuck in that scene. <laughs> Again, not an actual curse, but sure. No. Um, but uh, but his when he and um. Billy reveal themselves to be the co-murderers, mm-hmm. but you learn very quickly that Billy is actually the one calling the shots. Mm-hmm. And then every one of Stu's lines from that point on, he is so pathetic. Yeah. And he becomes so, like you said, it doesn't really make sense, but he becomes so much more likable. Yeah, he does. When Sydney asks him what his motive is. Yes. He's like peer, peer pressure, pressure. Far too sensitive. Yeah. I think that's kind of true. Yeah. This is Billy's idea. Like, I don't think abso- we can excuse the murdering. I think you and I have different thresholds for the kinds of murders and justifications we will excuse. Possibly. Seems like that may be the case. I feel like it's come up in Yellow Jackets as well. Yeah. Um, I just have, maybe it's the, maybe this is a difference between North and South Jersey <laughs> that we could trace back somewhere. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then when, <laughs> when Sydney says that's the other great thing is that throughout this whole movie nobody is able to call the cops like because they keep cutting the lines but because they're at Stu's house he thinks you know what I mean they're in charge so she's able to call the cops right right Um, and uh he says did you really call the cops she's like you bet your ass I did he's like my mom and dad are gonna be so So mad mad at me yeah yeah I think he means that he really is like oh no I hadn't considered how my parents will feel about the fact that I'm a murderer until this moment. Yeah. I also like when he says, I'm feeling a little woozy here. I'm feeling woozy here. Yeah. That's the other thing that's really s- sad is that he and Billy have orchestrated. Listeners can't see Jody's face, but she's working through the what I just said about the team murderers. <laughs> but he has gone into this up until the scene thinking that they're the two of them are unequal footing. Yeah. And they've practiced and the the plan is... They're going to stab each other, but not bad enough to kill, only to make it believable that they're actually the heroes, that they were both attacked by Sydney's dad. Yes. And that they both survived. 
And so he says, Stu you cut stabs, me too deep. He not only so Stu stabs Billy, but then Billy keeps stabbing Stu. Not only does he cut him too deep, he like slashes his arms. And it's like when Stu has to kind of tap out, he's like, I can't take anymore, man. It's like, I feel bad for him <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if I would go so far as to say I feel bad for him. I think that's a testament to how likable and charming I have always found Matthew Lillard. Yeah. And how annoying I have always found him. Like the fact that I even remotely like him at the end of this movie says something about his performance because I generally do not like any character that that man has ever played. (sighs) Wow. It's this just a is huge. Thing. Yeah, it totally is. Like, I, I was annoying. And so, like, he's in a mo- movies we've talked about already. Serial Mom, a movie I love, was before Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we talked. Have we talked about Hackers? I don't know. I've se- I saw Hackers. Hackers is another one of those. I don't think we'll talk about it on this show because it doesn't make sense. But in the, like, the blender of pop culture that makes up Andrea, you have to put... Hackers, Scream, and SLC Punk all go in the blender for me. That fully makes so sense I don't, to me. And <laughs> but I don't stand a chance when it comes to Matt Lillard. Like I just, which is so funny I because just like, for me, none him. of the movies that he's most known for are like I did like Hackers, but I don't have the same like gut level emotional connection to a lot of the movies that he's been in, um, I, because of the generational thing. Yeah, that that makes sense. He's he's also a great spit actor. He has no. There's no vanity with no. Matt Lillard playing upset. He will draw like that's very he, true. Like, he does it in his his. He's got a scene in SLC Punk that is so heartbreaking, um, and he is drooling everywhere <laughs> while he's crying. Yes, he he definitely. No, oh, he was in an episode of House. Something we spoke about last week, just as a one-off. And then, of course, Shaggy. I don't actually care about the Scooby-Doo movies, though. I know people love them. Actually, like weirdly, I think they're one of those things that have become like a cult kind of. Yeah, no, I don't have any interest in that. Oh, hold on now, hold on. There's a She's All That sequel called He's All That, and he plays the principal. What? That's. This is news. That's a huge. That's like very Saved by the Bell. The yeah. New class principal screech. Yep. I, that is news to me. So the party scene where the news van shows up mm-hmm. um, and she ends up going into the party with Dewey, which made mm-hmm. no sense to me. No teenage people would let a cop and a reporter into their party randomly. But <laughs> I don't care I, that he's I, her brother. Like, there's well, no way they're getting in the door. Yeah, there's there's no way. The only, like, sort of justification is this is... And Gail makes a point to emphasize this at the end this is a very small town they do all know each other uh still and not getting into any teen party maybe with the murders happening they feel like i guess i'm trying yeah i'm not i'm not getting there with you but (laughs) i almost i almost texted you this too as soon as i saw the van pull up to the party Mm -hmm. immediately in my TV-addled childhood brain, I heard the phrase, there's that news van again. (laughs) There's that news van again. That's such a cool little thing where they're watching it all happen through the news van monitor and and then they realize there's the delay. Yeah. 
there's a lot of really cool stuff in this movie that has to do with like screens and surveillance. Mm. Um, and the news is a really obvious one, but just like cool stuff with the parallels where what's happening happening on the TV screen when they're watching. Oh uh, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. and and also when Dewey's going through the house checking it out, and if you didn't have the subtitles on, which I did. You would have maybe thought that the noise that he was hearing was actually things happening in the house, but it was on the yeah. TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which for us as the viewer is the same. So it, you know, right. yeah, it, there's just so much fun stuff like that. Yeah. Um, no, I enjoyed it. I kind of was dreading watching it just because I don't <laughs> love horror movies. Mm-hmm. But I also did know that because of the type of movie that I was aware that it was, that I wasn't going to have the same feelings as if like you had asked me to watch, like I said, Saw or something like right, that. Right, which again, I would never do. Yeah. It's also obviously not a perfect execution for the reasons that we talked about. Um, and the sort of like meta commentary in general is almost bordering on hack at this point. or like, But it not, wasn't not, then, I don't think. No, no, I don't think it was at all. Yeah. Um, and hack isn't even really the right word but it's a way like some people think they're being clever by just being self-referential mm-hmm. and it doesn't always work i think it really works in this movie well because this was one of the first sort of like pop culture phenomenon type movies that really got out there that was doing this mm-hmm. like at least in our generation um so i think maybe to kind of bring this conversation to a close, I can say what mm-hmm. I learned from this movie. Yes. <laughs> what did you learn from this movie? I learned that teenage boys and the patriarchy are the real villains in society. <laughs> Done. Finally, finally took Figured this it out. movie and this viewing. No offense to any teenage boys that might be listening <laughs> or former teenage boys. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Weird weird how uh because right i mean i know you're like half joking but i'm really not all of, <laughs> but like all of this really starts if you think about it sydney's mom is murdered because she was allegedly sleeping with billy's dad mm-hmm. and then he blames her mm-hmm. for the his her, parents marriage right mm-hmm. um and that he doesn't blame his then, dad no, not at all. He's like barely a character. Like he barely matters at all in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's always the woman's fault. On- right. And then he and Stu slut shame that dead woman after they kill her. Yep. It's like flashing her shit around town like she was Sharon Stone or something. And let's after they, her was no- not to get too serious, but after they rape and kill her. And kill like, her. That didn't need to be a part of it. I, but- oh my God. This is the first time that I have separated out the rape and murder. Yeah. Not that, not that murder is, not that in the hierarchy of crimes, yeah. it is it would be okay if they had. There's no good way to have this part of the conversation. <laughs> no, I'm realizing that now. Yeah. Oh my God. Don't talk yourself into a corner here. Jesus. Yeah, maybe we just move past that. Well, but I do think it's important to recognize that like, Part of the reason I had such a specific reaction to this movie is because mm-hmm. it's really like if you break it down like we just did about why her mom is murdered mm-hmm. and raped, right. it's really fucking dark. Yeah. Like it's kind of glossed over in this in a way that is not uncommon, I guess, for the time. But if you really break it down and think about it, it's horrifying. 
Yeah. And in fact, I often forget, even though it's such a huge plot point, that it was only a year ago that this is happening on the one year anniversary because it seems so distant. And then thinking about the fact that Billy and Sydney have been together for two years, which means a year into their relationship, he raped and murdered her mother. And then the two of them continued. He continued to be involved with her. Like, and she didn't know that whole time. Yeah. Is horrifying. Yeah. And like... Maybe she didn't want to sleep with him because part of her had some weird vibes. <laughs> her body was... Yeah. yeah. He did not pass her vibe check. The body does keep the score, as they say. <laughs> as they say. And I... Yeah, that is... That is difficult. That is very difficult. Yes. Well, you can always count on me to end things on a down <laughs> note. Uh, a couple of recommended... If you like, that I'll just throw out here. Uh, Recommended if you like a a horror movie that is aware of the genre it's in and can play in those tropes without like making a total mockery. This is such a tricky needle. Mockery of it Mm -hmm. and also be genuinely funny where the humor doesn't necessarily come from like making. Well, I guess making fun of is kind of scream is kind of doing that. But it but it's doing it in a way that is that still takes it seriously. Right. It's the horror isn't the funny part. Like the horror is horrifying. And also the movie is very funny and poking at. Anyway, Josh Rubin is one of my absolute favorites. He's so good with this kind of thing. Um, He's made a bunch of uh, a handful of movies in the last few years. But two of them that I highly, highly recommend are um, uh, Scare Me. Okay. I which is a movie that, obviously oh, I, lo- I love scare me i could talk forever about scare me um written and directed by written directed produced starring josh rubin um and it's it's a movie about two uh horror writers who end up next to, in cabins next door to each other um and and i kind that's all one of them's a woman one of them's a man the woman is more famous and obviously from the outset more talented um Jody, that movie is so so good. Hmm. You should watch. You should watch. Scare me. That movie's great. Um, and then Werewolves Within, which is a take on the werewolf genre. That is, he's, I think, directed. He's not in it, um, and it is so funny and so good and genuinely scary. Um, he's he's like my my favorite, maybe my favorite like horror writer, director, filmmaker, whatever. Right now, he loves the genre and he's very funny and. Both yeah. of those things are, yeah. Well, and Jordan Peele needs does not need our help, but <laughs> yeah. But Get Out is fantastic. Get Out is great and scary and funny and, again, aware of the genre it's in. Can I tell you the fun thing that I learned that you may already know? Yeah. Okay. This made me laugh a lot. Um, so the guy that plays the voice on the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Um. What is his actual name? I want to make sure I give him credit. Not that he needs it from me. Uh, Roger Jackson is the voice Mm -hmm. actor that plays the killer on the phone in the Mm -hmm. first movie. Um, And then in all the sequels, he has reprised that role. Other credits are you aware of for for Roger Jackson? I don't think so. Or if I do, I don't remember. Okay. If I ever did know. The most notable one for me personally. Uh Uh-huh. He's Mojo Jojo in the Powerpuff Girls. (laughs) Man, I love voice actors because they could do. They're He's just... Mojo Jojo. That's so funny. It's so great. 
That's really good. Now are you picturing Mojo Jojo? Yes. When on the other on the other end of that line. I will now, yes. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. I want to see who I'm looking at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I that just I laughed really hard when I read that. I that's amazing. Um, should we talk about next week? Mm-hmm. Because I'm gonna make you watch something next week. That's right. Um, and I just went to our list. And the next one, which I recently was thinking about anyway, is The Legend of Billie Jean. Okay. So, for those... Now I need to know. For those who are unaware, we're going even further back. Legend of Billie Jean, 1985. It's another... Go ahead. It's uh, Helen Slater, <laughs> Christian Slater's sister, I believe. With also with Christian Slater. Wouldn't what if every movie if, I make you watch has Christian Slater in it? But you never draw attention to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Pump Up the Volume is another one you'd. Uh... Oh, I'm desperate to have us watch that, even though it's har- impossible to find anywhere. Is this not a period piece? Legend of Billie Jean? It's yeah. a very 1985 movie. Here's a new game we should play Heathers and Scream, too much in the cultural zeitgeist. I don't think it would have worked. Ask me what I think The Legend of Billie Jean is about. What do you think The Legend of Billie Jean is about? Uh, I don't know that much about it. I think it's a like Bonnie and Clyde kind of movie. Um, I know it's from the 80s. I think it's a period piece, like maybe the like 40s, maybe the 50s. I just saw the cover and I was like, she looks like a rollerblader. Exactly. She looks is she? like, no. <laughs> oh. She does, though, however, look, that's supposed to be a wetsuit, I think. She does look like she is on a roller derby team in this cover art. Um, Would this movie have been my queer awakening had I seen it as a young child? Because this this cover is... There's a very significant hair... Yeah, there's a very significant hair cutting scene in this movie. Uh oh! Oh no! Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. Um, it is a Joan of Arc allegory. Um, oh my god! Yeah, it's incredible. It's one of the things that my best friend and I first bonded over was like our pop culture history and this movie. Um, I'm really excited because when you threw this movie out in when we were brainstorming, yeah, there was a part of me that was like not thrilled, but now mm-hmm. all I needed to see was the cover, and I'm yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, it's very much in this realm of um, I think of it as like a precursor to something like Pump Up the Volume or um, Heather's in that it's like a teenagers fight back kind of movie. Cool. Like the adults suck and the teenagers have to fight back against the adults. Also, other teenagers suck, but these teenagers are fighting back against other teenagers and the adults who suck. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's Christian Slater. Like, what could be bad? A new Christian Slater. Yes. Um, as um, a, even younger than he was in uh, Heathers, obviously. Heathers. Um, so let's okay, tell people where they can watch this. Yardley Smith? <laughs> um, so you can watch this on a number of places. I do believe you have to rent it. I don't think it's f- streaming free. It might be, that, but um, it's only three ninety nine on... YouTube, Voodoo, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Redbox. It's like kind of everywhere for four bucks. And, and we don't have a Patreon, so just pretend that we do and that you're putting that money toward our Patreon <laughs> because 
because I want y'all to come back next week. So yeah, it is. Um, how old was I? I was twelve when this movie came out, or eleven even. But it was. I was minus one. Yeah, shut up. Um, the log line on the cover. There's a couple of them. When you're 17, people think they can do anything to you. Billie Jean is about to prove them wrong. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then it also says the last thing she ever expected mm-hmm. was to become a hero. Yeah. This is it's, something else we should be doing every week. Yeah. In. Yeah. It's very much a um, sort of proto-feminist tale of a woman fighting back. It's it's great. That's very cool. I'm excited to rewatch it. Scream's tagline was, don't answer the door, don't leave the house, don't answer the phone, but most of all, don't scream. Good one. Which, that's good. Yeah. What was uh, Heather's? From the first blush of romance to the last squeeze of the trigger. Oh. I, I don't know if that's actually the logline or if it's something that somebody like added to this image. Huh? Oh. There two. It seems like that is one of them. The other two listed on IMDb are much better. Would you like to share them? Yes. Yeah, so the first one is best friends, social trends, and occasional murder. That's great. That's a good one. Yeah. The other one is just a killer comedy. Not great. Yeah. Yes. Best friends, social trends, and occasional murder is very good. It's very good. Yeah. So that's it for this week. Thank you for making me watch Scream. I, I did <laughs> enjoy it. Thank you for it. watching Scream. Um, I'm glad to have that sort of uh, piece of pop culture filled in. I don't know if I'll watch the sequels. I might someday when I'm bored, but yeah. I, I at least have the knowledge of the first one now. Some of them are very good. Yeah. I don't know that if this isn't your genre, yeah. if you're not, I'm not going to push you to, I to mean, watch them. Let me know if you do. Listeners, it, again, I don't. It's I also the Nev Campbell genre, which I'm not not interested in. <laughs> there you go. So she's so good. Party of Five um, was a a big show for me. I I very my heart had very little room for teen and or family dramas like that, except for Dawson's Creek, mm. which matters so much to me. Well, the um, parents are dead in Party of Five. <laughs> There are some dead parents in Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Um, some of them don't start out that way. Um, and now I just cry. Now the end of the episode is just me quietly weeping. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, we have one more thing. Um, What's that? I, oh, I know, listeners, I hope, let us know what, what you think of this. Because I know we're not doing typical, like, movie recap podcasts. That's not what this is. Mm-hmm. Um I hope folks are are liking it in spite or because of that fact. Um, but if you guys hate it, let us <laughs> let us know. Maybe I mean, don't. We'll probably, I don't know that my ego wants to know if they. Hate I mean, it. we'll probably keep doing it either way. But uh, I, you know, um, we do have a new five star review since last week. Oh, cool! Yeah, so Love I'll that. share that, and uh, and then you can tell folks where to find us, and then we can send everyone Ooh, their merry. Can way. we quickly recommend a show? Yeah. Um, for people who are looking for something to watch. This is not in the Yellow Jackets pop culture universe, but Mm -hmm. it is fucking delightful. Um, Citizen Jess, um, one of our uh, friends on Instagram, (laughs) mentioned somebody somewhere 
which oh. I have brought up to you in the past. I love that show so much. I love Bridget Everett. I love, um, what is the guy that plays her best friend? Jeff um, Hiller. Jeff Hiller. It's such a great show. So if you're looking for something else to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's a show I've been saving. I know that I will love it. You, you will know how cry. there's some things, you know how there's, it's like, it couldn't be more up my alley. Um, you know how there are some things where you're like, I'm saving this. Mm-hmm. I'm saving this because I know I'm going to love it. And I just want to save it for when I need something like this. Yeah. It's, that's that show for save me. It. It's so good. I mean, and it's short episodes, which, you know, we've yeah. talked about with the bear. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. a nice 30 minute mm-hmm. episode. Um, speaking of which, I did finish the bear. Um, and I love that show the second season was so good so incredible um i love how obsessed especially east i mean like i i know it's everybody loves everybody watches it loves it but there's a certain kind of person from chicago of course but then also there are some like east coasters who are very yeah whose brand like us is being northeasterners who are as obsessed with it as we are and i love that we're all just like this it's is our show, too. Yeah, it like, is. Like, you guys can have a Chicago, but also it's our show, too. Yeah. In the spirit of recommending shows, podcasts, etc., if you were really into The Bear and want to hear more conversation about it, I highly recommend the Prestige TV's pod- Prestige TV podcast breakdown of the show. Um, Van Lathan and Charles Holmes did probably the best job I've ever heard two people do recapping a really emotional episode of television where I was out loud being like, yes, oh my God. Like while they were talking about it, it's very personal. It's very heartfelt. It's really, really beautiful. So highly recommend if you were really into the bear listening to them talk about it. Yeah, I listened to just that episode because you recommended it. Um, and it's, it's yeah, it's wonderful. The Watch, ones that came after were just as heartfelt and great. Um, if you haven't watched The Bear, go watch it so you can listen to that recap because it was really lovely. Yeah. Um, it felt, it just felt very good to be yeah. listening to. It's a way of being, I really, it's something that I am a little shy about is like, or not sh- shy is not the right word, a little red, I don't, I don't know what the word is exactly, but of being vulnerable and open and personal without oversharing yeah or without making or do and like having it there for a reason um to add to the conversation and to like allow for more productive analysis and it's a master class in doing that i think totally it's so good it's Mm -hmm. so good so anyway our uh, last five star review review. (laughs) this is from (laughs) love the in-depth discussions is this person is what their name Okay. Uh, instead of giving like an actual name, they gave another little extra review in their review, which nice. I quite like. Yeah. Um, uh, the Watchers podcast rules. I'm so glad I found this podcast. I listened to almost all of the other Yellow Jackets podcasts. <laughs> These are our people. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, and this is my favorite. Aww. Due to the Thank host you. intelligent discussion and obvious respect for each other. Oh, which is so. If nice. only they knew. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> they don't hear us off mic. <laughs> We're um, only disrespectful when talking about like specific was, old school Jersey arguments that nobody I cares about. Just going to say that, Jody. It only I has to do just, with Taylor Ham and pork roll that pork nobody roll. cares about anymore. Just going to say that exact thing. Yeah. Save all our dist, dist- save all our disrespect for uh, North South Jersey beef. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'd love to hear you guys do a book club in the off season. Oh no. Don't encourage Andrea. So yeah, thank you so much. I love the the reviews. I, I know it's a little uh, self-indulgent, but it, yeah. it just... But it makes us happy. We're just doing this yeah. because we want to. We're not getting it paid. We have no sponsors. We're just like <laughs> talking about stuff we like to talk about. And if it resonates I... with people, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, come back next week to listen to us talk about The Legend of Billie Jean. Watch that movie if you haven't. I would be so interested to hear other people's take on that movie. Um, we didn't ask folks it. to do this the last two weeks, and now I'm annoyed that we didn't. So what I'm about to say applies to Heather's and Scream as well. So if you watch the movie, shoot us an email. Let us know what you think. Yeah, or comment on the Instagram when um, when we post about the episode and let us know if you'd seen the movie before, what you thought, if it was as important to you as it was to one of us, all of that stuff. Yeah. I'd love to hear other and, people. Yeah, and we'll share that stuff on the podcast too if anything comes up that... uh that we want to share totally um yeah so follow us at watchers pod and on instagram and twitter um you can follow my personal art account we'll at... probably be on blue sky soon too i know if... yeah twitter's uh, the great migration is happening flaming so just keep your eye out there fire. Too. yeah um and you can follow my art account at Jody underscore M-I-M Mim on Instagram if you want to. No pressure. It's just me and my art and some memes. That's it. <laughs> and I'm at AQ Andrea Q. Mostly my dog. I do all kinds of podcast podcast stuff. I've got some exciting new podcast stuff coming up Yee! that uh, I'm excited to talk about in the near future. A couple of different things, actually. I'm going to be busy, busy. Um, and uh, I think that's... That's everything? I think so. This has been The Watchers. Yeah. We will see you next week for Legend of Billie Jean. Bye. Bye.